What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dennis Poulet Show. So happy to have today on the podcast a guy by the name of Mark Ostriker. He has been an influential mind in youth ministry for many, many years and lately has been reading and researching a whole bunch about the amazing teenage brain. And so today it is a privilege to have him on the podcast. So I hope you enjoy this interview. So actually, I was, I've been thinking through this, you know, and I'm kind of thinking through, like, how did you get into the topic of the teenage brain? Like, what was the first kind of your first entryway into that? Yeah, well, I spent, uh, you know, most of my youth ministry years, all of my youth ministry years have been with junior hires. Um, I mean, the last 20, I've been leading organizations that train youth workers, but Still, I've been a volunteer in the junior high ministry at my church for the last 21 years. And prior to that, I was a junior high pastor. And I think that um, junior hires are so unique. Uh, and that, That's one way uh, to put it. it yep. And it, it's absolutely critical to understand them, right? So I started, I mean, I've been doing this for 38 years. So I started early on reading about early adolescent development in order to better understand the kids in my ministry. And as my both affection for them and understanding of them grew, I just started to see more and more how critical it was to understand particularly some of the stuff that's happening in their brain development. So yeah, it's just became a, uh, it's become an, a subject that I'm really interested in. So I'm always reading new stuff and, um, observing and all kinds of stuff right, like that. Right. So I went to this download youth ministry volunteer training thing. And I'll be honest, I was looking over the, the topics. I took some of my volunteers to it, looking over the topics. And I guarantee that the first, the one that I was like the least interested in at all, no offense to you, was the teenage brain, because I thought this thing cannot be <laughs> practical at all, because I've been around youth ministry for a long time, youth ministry training, like I'm, I'm doing a doctorate in family ministry, all this stuff that like, I'm thinking, oh, great, here we go. It's going to be like, so irrelevant and impractical that like, nobody's ever gonna, <laughs> gonna want to, uh, you know, watch this ever again. Right. And uh, so as you started going and talking about it, like, I was like, this is, really practical stuff this is stuff that doesn't just like yes. it's not yeah. just brainy stuff it's not just academic stuff it's really super practical so yeah it totally impacts what i do in every aspect of yeah, ministry and so kind of what right. i wanted to do with this conversation is i want to get incredibly practical with it like not just talking about how it's changing or anything but like what does that mean for us right like how does a parent change based on an understanding of the development of the brain. We know I, I was reading, reading right. the, one of the books that you wrote about, about the topic about like, how can you, um, you know, we know all of this physical development is happening and then we kind of just forget about the brain development. And I have a sixth grader and I have a ninth grader and I have a fourth uh -huh. grader. So I wow. need as much practical advice as anybody about what does this actually mean yeah. for me? Um, so what would you say are some of the, the biggest th 
things that you've learned in your study or your reading and then like the things that have like really practically helped you either as a youth pastor or as a parent yeah probably the the single most important thing to understand in terms of uh, adolescent brain development um, is that with the it's all about the onset of abstract thinking okay so the uh, the brain goes through a bunch of uh, stages of development and how it understands and processes information and the last of those significant changes comes with the onset of puberty so young teens are brand new in this new stage and uh, older teenagers high schoolers are still working it out pretty significantly even 20 somethings are still working it out um, <clears throat> so it's basically a shift from preteens and children being limited in their thinking to to black and white and concrete ways whereas in early adolescence we get this brand new ability to think abstractly and that has a bunch of implications but the two most important ones for uh, parents and youth workers to understand is that it means we have this new ability to think uh, about uh, speculative ideas okay. right to think about for example if I make this choice or this choice what what might the implications and down the road um, actions be from that right or even to speculate about someone else and their decision-making process um, that's not a, a cognitive capacity that children possess uh, and so it's it's brand new for young teens and it's still being worked out for older so is teens. that is the that other then like um, like when you tell your kid your actions have consequences is is that is that kind yeah. of what you're talking about? Like, I, if I do this, then this will happen. Or if somebody else would have, or if I if I've got two choices that I have to make, it's harder for them to be able to choose one or the other. Is that what you're saying? Like speculating about if I go this route, yeah, what's I mean, going to happen? All, right. I mean, it's almost impossible for uh, preteens to do that. For example, they might have an assumption about what the consequences of their actions would be um, but they would assume that everyone they would assume it's reality not a speculative idea and they would also assume that everyone else would think the same way so that's why you know your fourth grader would be surprised when the consequences let's say or even just um things that happen as a result of something else right not even necessarily could be right, positive right. consequences too when they're not what they assumed they would were going to be that's a surprise to them whereas that becomes less so okay for teenagers now who are able to start to speculate and it's not only about decision making realize it's speculate about all kinds of things okay. right it's even speculate about who I am becoming speculate about what is it my parents actually want from me all of that kind of speculative work so like when we say you should have um, known better that they, they, they yeah. their brain doesn't let them even really process that they should have known better <laughs> yeah I mean I guess you could say with a, a, a preteen or a child they should have known better if 
they have experienced that exact same thing and parents have been really clear. Right, right. And, so we you know, have to, we have to make the effort of being extremely upfront with expectations and with consequences and what's going to happen because it's harder for them to think through that, go down that hypothetical path. Yeah. Now with young teens, the, the interesting thing is they have this new ability to, to speculate, but it's like a brand new muscle they've been given by God as a puberty gift, <laughs> but they're not good at it. They're really not good at it. It's like a really flabby muscle that has to be worked out for a number of years. So the capacity is there, but um, it's, it's not very uh, accessible to them. So they can go there, but they kind of need coaching. They need hand-holding. They need you as a parent to help them connect the dots, to look backward and see how those uh, choices led to that help them speculate we can actually they can go there if we take them okay. there right so if they're thinking about you know and again this isn't just about decision making about behaviors it's so much right, broader right. than that but help them exercise that speculation muscle is really a big deal in fact it's a giant piece of faith development mm -hmm. right so i mean the work you and i are in of uh being youth workers with teenagers helping them ex uh exercise their speculation muscle is a critical part of faith development uh, because so much of what we end up believing as adults is worked out through speculation during our teenage and young adult years. Whereas when you're a child, it's much more, of course, as you know, much more of an inherited faith. I'm told this truth. It makes sense to me. I agree with it, right? But now we start to see teenagers have all these doubts and questions, which is, by the way, an absolutely essential part of faith development. But it all comes from that, that new ability to speculate. Let me, let me quickly tell you what the other right. primary yep. uh, aspect of the onset of abstract thinking is. It's third-person perspective. That means I can think about, I can perceive myself from somebody else's point of view, or I can per think about what somebody might perceive about you or even an idea, right? That how somebody else might perceive that idea. That uh, third person perspective is again, not accessible. It's not something that preteens and children have and junior hires just start to have that, uh, but it's new for them. Here, here's a, a great way of thinking of it. If you put a fourth grade girl in front of a, mirror and ask her to describe herself describe herself she'll give you a very little literal description of what she sees combined with what people have told her about herself but if you put a 16 year old girl in front of a mirror and ask her to describe herself you get a very different kind of description that is primarily built on her perception of other people's view of her colored by some of those other things what people have told her things like that right so that that third person perspective thing, it changes everything, right? right? Um, certainly giant implications for parent-teen relationships because when you're in relationship with your third grader, they're not perceiving what you are thinking, right? Whereas your, your uh, 14 or 16 year old is, perceiving that they might be wrong but they are actively perceiving it again younger teens are really bad at this the capacity is there 
but they're just not very good at it. So they often misperceive. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. Yep. So they get better at perceiving what other people are thinking as they develop. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay. So you said something in the uh, training that I thought was interesting that I, that I think goes along with what we're talking about um, just as far as the way that we're thinking through this and maybe the impact that it makes on us. And one of the questions I guess that I had, the thing that you said was, um, let me see if I can find it. Do we perceive teenagers as a problem to be solved or a wonder to behold? Um, can you kind yeah. of explain what you mean by that? And then we can talk through that a little bit. Yeah, it's broader than these developmental issues, that question, but it certainly is an important question when we're talking about these, these issues. I think that the majority of people uh, in America, at least, in general, think of teenagers as a broken stage of life, like that they're dysfunctional. Um, I would suggest that there's, been, there's always historically been some of that, but um, for the last hundred years or so, that's been a dominant viewpoint of most people that we think of teenagers as uh, broken and that they need to come out of that at some point when they move into it ad adulthood. But I would suggest that that's not God's perspective, that God sees them as a wonder to behold. And that that has giant implications for when we're talking about things like these developmental realities. If this was God's creation intention, God's loving creation intention, then uh, there must be a good reason for it. So let me give you an example of this. One of the parts of the brain that we know are significantly underdeveloped in teenagers, we've only known this for about 15 years since the invention of the MRI, is the, called the prefrontal cortex. It's the front part of your brain. It's the decision-making center of the brain. It's responsible for risk evaluation, impulse control, empathy, um, wisdom, decision-making, prioritization, a bunch of things like that. Those functions, those brain functions are really difficult for teenagers because that part of their brain is underdeveloped. Now, if you view them as a problem to be solved, then you, you look at that underdevelopment of their prefrontal cortex and you think they're broken. They're not capable of making decisions. They're, they're dysfunctional. And so we need to you know, protect them and isolate them and treat them like they were children, which is totally counterproductive to their growth and right, development. Isn't that, that's kind of like but what, you, when that came out, like a lot of that, all, all the memes on Facebook and everything was like, well, no wonder. No wonder they can't do what we ask them to do because they're yeah. horrible. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. And I would say that's the dominant view of teenagers. Uh, even, even from people who actually like teenagers. Um, the other uh, perspective of that they're a wonder to behold, then you start saying, okay, why might God have made their brains to be like this at this stage of their life? And so, for example, on risk, right, their, their brains are not great at evaluating risk. The positive of that is that means they're really good at taking risks. Right, yeah. Uh, and you and I are not because we're, we're risk averse, because of a lifetime of trying, you know, growing in our desire to avoid pain. Yeah. Um, 
And so teenagers are great at taking risk, which of course can get them into all kinds of problems, but it also allows them to understand, grow in their understanding of the world around them. Uh, and it also can be a great gift to our families and to our churches and our communities because they're willing to try new things. Yeah, and we have we right? probably have a generation of parents who are like, because we're afraid of taking risks, we don't want our kids to have to take risks because we don't want them to fail. And therefore right. now we have all this helicopter parenting. We have all of this, like, I don't want Johnny to, you know, get to lose a, a soccer game. So we're not going to keep score or, or whatever. All of that stuff is yeah. just like, we're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. no, let's not take risks. Let's just, let's pad our kids with bubble wrap and like, let them go. Right. Right. Which is, which I, I understand course, yeah. I mean, the impulse, right? You want your kids to be happy and you don't want them to get hurt, right? Um, however, it is counterproductive to their development into adults. And I would suggest parents consider, you know, what's my goal as a parent? I would suggest a healthy goal would not be, I want them to be happy. Of course, I do want them to be happy, but that's not my ultimate goal. My goal as a parent, my kids, by the way, are 25 and 21. I want to raise adults. I don't want them to be stuck in adolescence. I just tweeted that. I just Beautiful. tweeted your quote, I think. <laughs> ah, really? Beautiful. Yeah. yeah, I mean, our goal is to, to help them become adults, not, I mean, and hopefully they arrive safely at adulthood, but with all of the things that they can do to actually be functioning adults, um, you know. Yes. I mean, so it's that balance, it's a tension between being safe, but at the same time allowing them to exercise those muscles that they're developing in their brain as they are trying the speculative and as they're trying to, you know, do all of those things, start thinking abstractly. That's something that you say in the book right. is, you know, how can I as a parent help my kid start to think in these abstract terms that they've grown up not doing? Um, yeah, let me give you a pragmatic because yeah, yeah, you wanted to talk about pragmatic stuff. Ask what if and why questions. Those are speculation questions. Okay. So if you're sitting around the dinner table and, uh, you know, your, your 14 year old says, I'm thinking about running for student government. I'm just coming up with a random idea here. Right. Uh, ask what if and why questions to get them to speculate. That is helpful for the specific thing they're considering, but it also has a broader benefit of exercising their speculation muscle. So they'll get better at that for all areas of life. Okay. Don't always tell them what they should do. Right. Yeah. Right. Tell them what they should do makes a little more sense if your kid is uh, nine, um, because nine-year-olds are at the right the apex, the epitome of black and white thinking, right? And so, but with young teens and older teenagers too. We really want to help them with that speculation muscle. It's way better if they come to conclusions than if we just tell them the right answer. Yeah. Yeah, good. That's good. Um, there was another thing that you were talking about, and I don't know if I'm going to say it right, the interior cingulate. This was my favorite part of the entire That's thing where you are dancing around telling us about, about this. And I thought that it was, it's something that like, <laughs> for me, it like opened my eyes. So explain to us, what that is and, and how that actually yeah first of all it's the anterior, anterior. oh singular, yeah not the I, spell check yeah. it was autocorrect i'm sure i'm sure 
So anterior is, you know, the opposite of posterior. So anterior means okay. forward. That's all. Gotcha. All it means, right? The anterior cingulate is a part of the brain that's right behind the prefrontal cortex, and it acts as a mediator between the logical and rational thought of the prefrontal cortex and the fear center of your brain, which is called the amygdala, which is way back uh, in, the, in the base of your uh, brain right above your spine. And all animals have uh, the amygdala. It's what creates the fight or flight thing. Uh, whereas only humans have a prefrontal cortex and have that logical and rational thought. But the amygdala, fear, and the prefrontal cortex, logic, they don't get along and they override one another depending on which is stronger in a given moment, right? And uh, the anterior cingulate moderates that. It works as like the fulcrum in the middle of a balance between the two. Um, now, what I talked about at the, at the event that you're referencing is that neuroscience has recently discovered that which of those three parts of your brain are significantly more developed has a giant implication on your understanding and experience of God. So if you have a highly developed prefrontal cortex and you're a very logical and rational thinker, then you'll have a logical and rational faith that you can explain well, but probably lacks some heart. If you have allowed your amygdala to uh, lead you into fear all the time, then you'll have a fear-based faith, which is probably going to be legalistic, trying to avoid the wrath of an angry God, right? But if you have a highly developed anterior cingulate, then it, it specifically is what allows you to understand and experience God as personal, compassionate, and other than yourself, Okay. Now, the really amazing discovery then is not just that, but how you grow your anterior cingulate. These secular neuroscientists discovered that the number one way to grow your anterior cingulate is through uh, prayer and meditation. And the number two way is through worship singing. They call it spiritual singing. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's prayer and meditation and worship on a daily basis, not a once a week basis going to church and praying, singing a worship song, I'm sure is wonderful and nice, but it doesn't do much for your interior. That's kind of like me and going to practice. the gym once a week. <laughs> yes, I've been exactly. waiting for that to work, but it just doesn't, it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. But a daily practice of those uh, actually can grow your, even 10 minutes a day can grow your interior cingulate by 50% within two months. And is that, is that like an individual or is it corporate or does it matter? Um, kind of a thing? Like if your family is worshiping together or praying and, and doing those things together, does that, does that count, I guess, is the question? Sure. Yeah, good question. Sure. Yes, it okay. does. So, so as a parent, you could as kind of encourage as as that. Yes. Yeah, it's one of the questions I've started asking youth tours. I mean, when I first was learning this, I was thinking, man, we as adults need to be putting this into practice, right? This weekend, I was you know, at an event with a hundred uh, middle school ministry workers. And I was talking about how uh, this has to have implications for our, our leadership, that we will be more compassionate leaders and therefore more like Jesus in our leadership if we work to grow our interior cingulates, right? So um, yes, I, it starts there, but then it's also begged this question for me is it seems like it should be one of our top priorities whether a parent or a youth worker, uh, when we're working with teenagers, is to help them develop those practices 
and those values in their life at this age. So it becomes part of who the, the practice even becomes part of who they yeah, are. Yeah, and it's going to grow that part of the brain, which is going to grow their faith, hopefully, right? The way that they, they experience yeah. God, at least. Yeah, that seems to me like that should be a priority. And we've been talking about that for a while now, whenever it comes to uh, family worship, family discipleship, what do parents do to kind yeah. of encourage that in their kids? And unfor- I mean, obviously, like we're not all perfect at it, <laughs> but, but it sure yeah. would be nice if, if we could figure out how to, how to encourage that in our kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so is there anything else that you think that we need to know for sure that we haven't covered? Uh, I guess maybe I'll add one more part of the brain that's underdeveloped because I talked about how the prefrontal cortex is underdeveloped, meaning uh, decision-making and stuff like that. So we need to help teenagers in that area. Uh, The other part that we've discovered is significantly underdeveloped is called the uh, temporal lobes uh, on the side of your head, right above your ears. Um, And that is responsible for uh, emotional understanding and interpretation. So it's very challenging for teenagers to understand and interpret their own emotions and even more so other people's emotions. Uh, And it's something that they have to grow in through practice again. Fascinating gender difference on this. Uh, Teenage girls uh, are, uh, you know, much more underdeveloped in that area than adults are, but teenage boys are exponentially more Hmm. underdeveloped um, in that area. So if you have a junior high boy and he seems to just completely miss emotional cues, that's normal. Now, I'm not saying that we have to just suck it up and deal with it, but we need to more like think of ourselves as surrogate temporal lobes, right? (laughs) We need to help our kids understand and interpret emotions because it's often very difficult for them to do that on their own. Okay. Yeah, especially in that, probably in that, you know, 10, 11, 12 time frame, whenever there's a whole lot of junk happening. <laughs> yeah, so that's yeah. right. Yeah. So we, how, what can we do then? How do we do that? Well, we help identify emotions. So we, through dialogue, okay. right? So asking the right so, questions about, about how, yeah. how you feel, yeah. like, is this empathy? Is this like, how would you feel if this happened? Yeah, so I... I would start with normalizing their experience. So that means helping them understand that what they're going through is normal and good. It's part of God's loving design for them, right? So uh, that that is, you know, if your kid's experiencing some wild emotions and they're not even sure what they are, to have a conversation about, hey, I know it feels really wacky right now. Here's what's going on, right? I've had this conversation with my own kids, particularly when that a- they were that age, multiple times. You're, you're, you're growing into adult experience of emotions. It's going to take a while to get used to them. It will become a wonderful resource for you to experience the fullness of life that Jesus promises us in John 10.10. 10. But in the meantime, the process of getting there can be a little bit messy. So normalizing their experience is step one. And then the second would be that thing where I was kind of only tongue, only slightly joking when I say being their surrogate temporal lobes. It's when they're experiencing an emotion or, or trying to see someone else's emotion is to come alongside them and process that. I'll give you a quick example. Sitting in my uh, small group, 
with a bunch of junior high boys, uh, probably I think they were eighth graders at the time. Um, and one of them was expressing something very emotional that he wanted prayer for. But it was a conflicted emotion, like he was excited about seeing a brother that he hadn't seen for a couple of years, a literal blood brother of his. Um, he was excited and afraid at the same time. And I could see that very easily. It was obvious to me. His best friend um, was totally missing it and was just popping off with some really stupid advice, right? And so I paused and I said to the friend, hey, I wanna help you with this. I, I want you to look at your buddy's face and what emotion do you think he has right now? And he didn't know. And so I said, here's what I think it is. And I asked the kid who was expressing the emotion, is that right? Are you experiencing some excitement, but also some fear about seeing your brother? And he was like, yeah, that, that's it. And now, and now I'm helping this kid who missed it. Now do you see that? And he's, oh yeah, okay, now I see it. See, so in the midst of that, I'm processing his emotions with him, helping to identify it. And then hopefully he can get better and better at that. Uh, as he grows up more. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to do that in the moment. You're like, come on, man, you're missing it. You want to smack them upside the head yeah. and be like, you should have gotten that already. But to understand right. that they're not going to get it unless we, we help them see it is a super important right. thing to know. For sure. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you for uh, spending some time with me. I know that you've got plenty of other things to do and, uh, you got a lot of, a lot Absolutely. of, uh, you know, I wrote a book, I wrote a book about this stuff specifically for parents. Yeah. That's the one that I was I reading. I, I, yeah. What's it called? Let's, I wrote two of them actually. I wrote two of them for parents. One is specifically for parents of junior hires or middle schoolers. It's called understanding your young teen. Okay. And then I wrote one that's, that's specifically about brains for parents and it's a little tiny book a very quick read called a parent's guide to understanding teenage brains yeah that's the one i was reading this weekend it takes like two hours if you want to process the whole thing <laughs> maybe, maybe yeah. less but it's a good book i'm gonna go back and read it again and read it again um yeah yeah, yeah. so what are what are some other things just maybe uh what are some other books besides the ones that you've written like that maybe if somebody wants to like super really explore this, um, is there something else that, that we could get into? Yeah. A lot of the books that I've written are a little more of a quick overview. There's a really excellent uh, book. That's also a Christian book for parents called your teenager is not crazy that I, I have found really helpful. And it's got a lot more of the kind, it's got a lot more footnotes uh, than mine does. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Way. This um, and then if you want to read about the anterior cingulate stuff, the book on that is called How God Changes Your Brain. Okay. That's not a Christian book, but really, really fascinating. Yeah, that, one, sound, that one sounds interesting for sure. Well, I appreciate it. I know yeah. uh, this is super helpful for me. I, you know, I, like I said, I was going into the, the, that part of the workshop going, oh boy, I'll watch because it's Marco and I want to <laughs> see if anything falls out of his beard. But... <laughs> Besides that, it was, it was, it was surprising to me, you know, I mean, and I've, I've been in this for a while. It's not like I have never been in youth yeah. ministry, but just being able to think right. through some of these things has, has been helpful. Hopefully it'll be helpful for me as a parent, number one, and then number two yeah. as a uh, youth pastor too. So, um, 
Good stuff. Thanks a bunch, man. Appreciate it. Okay, Dennis. I'll talk to you later. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining along today on this podcast episode. I hope you liked it. If you did, please make sure you leave it a rating and we will talk to you on the next episode.